Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 458. And today we're talking about Dragon Age 2. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello. And Tony Atkins. Hello. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Dragon Age 2, then what is it? People like us to make it clear. Dragon Age 2 was the first sequel to the uh, US-developed fantasy role-playing game, brackets, computer role-playing game, although that was really more the predecessor. This one was a bit more console-focused, although you can still play it on a computer. Uh, The original game was, of course, Dragon Age Origins. We covered that game and its uh, DLC extension, which was quite a sizable add-on, Dragon Age Origins and and Awakening, back in (laughs) October 2014. No way. Yes. (laughs) In Kana Rince issue 149. So at that point, this game that we're talking about today was a mere three and a half years old or something <laughs> like that. We'll give you a spoiler warning. The game is fairly intensive on story. Uh, we will talk about that. It's a, a story in three fairly distinct acts. Uh, but yeah, we'll save it for that part of the discussion. The developer was Bioware. They are and were part of EA by this point. Total development. Now, this is important. It will come up again, I suspect. Total development for Dragon Age 2 officially lasted for about a year and a half. But the actual production of the game, the making of it from, you know, beyond preliminary discussions and sketches and planning was nine months, which for a 10 era video game was freakishly short uh, especially for you know what was intended to be a triple a title the follow-up to another triple a title yeah i'm just i'm having heart palpitations just imagining scheduling (laughs) that amount of work yeah yeah i'm trying to remember how long dragon age one took to develop because i remember the previews of that being forever yeah years Years and years and years I'm sure it was in development for at least a minimum of three years, I'm going to say. Uh, listeners, go back to that show and hopefully we covered it in there. We'll check out Wiki. But yeah, I'm going to say it was three, five years, something like that. A, a sort of normal amount of time for a, uh, an ambitious, in-scope, expansive RPG across multiple formats with multiple characters and etc. and so on. EA, the publisher, of course. The director of this one was Mark Darra. He was lead programmer on the much much beloved CRPG Baldur's Gate 2 from BioWare's earlier heyday. He was also the director, uh, sorry, lead programmer again on Jade Empire, probably their kind of cult classic game from the BioWare stable. People still talk about it coming back as a sequel and, and, and things like that. Uh, he was also the executive producer on Dragon Age Origins, the designer and the creative lead for the Dragon Age franchise is Mike Laidlaw, uh, who's also the lead writer on Jade Empire and the lead designer on the previous game, Dragon Age Origins. Uh, the art director, Matthew Goldman, was also straight over from Dragon Age Origins, as was the lead character artist. Uh, the lead writer as well, David Guider, was, uh, yes, lead writer on Dragon Age Origins Awakening. He was a designer on Baldur's Gate 2 and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Enon Zur re- returned as composer 
It was made on the Lyceum engine, which was a uh, a sort of updated version of is it Lyceum or Lyceum? Was an updated version of the. Uh, it had a different name before, but I've temporarily forgotten what it was. Uh, anyway, and this was before everyone at EA moved on to Frostbite, but only just. The game came out on PC and Mac and Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 between March the 8th and the 11th, 2011. The press reviews were less glowing than its predecessor, but still overall positive with an 81% average score. But then when you look at the user reviews, things were a little different. Now, on the IMDb, it's still pretty healthy, positive, 7.5 out of 10 from almost four and a half thousand people who have registered a, a score. However, on Metacritic, across all formats, the user score from eight and a half thousand people is a lowly 4.5 out of 10. There was actually a controversy at the time as a Bioware employee was caught posting as a consumer on Metacritic, leaving user reviews. The employee, Chris Hoban, gave the game a score of, guess what, 10 out of 10. An EA representative <laughs> responded after much online controversy saying it is normal for people who work on a game to like and support it, though it is unclear if Hoban acted on his own or at behest of the company. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> the, the game uh, sold. Probably it did. I, I don't know what expectations were. I imagine it was less than expectations, but it did two million copies plus, And that was. I mean, that was the only figure we have, and that was just two months after release. So I guess it will have gone on to sell a few more uh, physically and digitally over the years. But uh, I think it was down on Dragon Age Origins numbers overall, although it was uh, it got off to a good start. I think it sold all right in its first week and then perhaps word of mouth got around about some of its shortcomings, which we will discuss, of course. So who was there at the time? day one-ing after they're falling in love with the original Dragon Age and or who's come to this more recently? Well, let's start with Josh to find out. This is an interesting one because I, I'm not actually the biggest fan of Dragon Age Origins and th there's a lot of things I respect about it. I, I understand that it's like an incredibly deep um, RPG and it's, you know, way more expansive and there's more kind of, you know, branching paths and all of that jazz as compared to this game. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I didn't really gel with the, the story. I didn't really gel with the characters. Um, and the main thing for me is that the, the art direction in, in Origins really left me cold. Um, I, I think, and, and I say this like, I, I realize the game has aged, but even at the time, I thought it was pretty ugly. Um, mm. And especially when compared to, um, you know, Mass Effect and, and Mass Effect Two, which would come later, um, I, I just, it, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't appeal to me. Um, Dragon Age Two was obviously coming out after Mass Effect Two, and Mass Effect Two, I, I just absolutely adored. Um, uh, I, I loved it to pieces. I played it. You know, I I was in my early twenties around that time, so I had you know very little money, but infinite time. So I played played Mass Effect two many multiple times um, in two thousand ten, 
and and Dragon Age Two, for for whatever reason, everything they were saying about it got me excited, even though I wasn't a big fan of the original. Hmm. Um, I liked the move towards kind of a more focused kind of voice acted protagonist because that was like Mass Effect. Um, I liked the more kind of um, uh, more punchy combat, even though it was still kind of on you know that cooldown style approach mm. to RPG combat. It just felt like it had a bit more impact, a bit more, bit more um, gravity to it, a bit more uh, weight to it, um, and just like the story, the way they were the, they were taking the narrative, like let's you know let's scale it back, uh, scale it down, let's let's approach uh, approach this from a more intimate. Mm. um perspective and 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 look at these characters lives so i bought this uh bought this day one uh absolutely rinsed it um and then ended up playing it um a second time like a a couple of years later and at the time um i felt we'll get we'll get into my current feelings on it Mm. after revisiting it but at the time i felt really really positively about it i wasn't blind to the flaws that we Mm. we we will discuss but i felt like the things that it did well and the ideas that it it was exploring were really interesting um i think um other games since then have maybe taken those ideas and and executed them, them to a better standard but at the time, back in 2011, I was like, yeah, this is what I want from a fantasy game. Right. Interesting. Okay. Brian, what about you? Um, so I think Dragon Age Origins uh, was the first uh, quote-unquote CRPG that I have, had ever finished. Um, mm. I, I'd never really taken to the, to the style of CRPGs. I, I just, I, maybe I just wasn't old enough to really understand them or, or you know wrap my head around them um but dragon age origins i just sunk sunk everything into i um it was it was like it, it, it was in the early days of what we would consider the modern internet where i was like i was just reading every <laughs> wiki entry every fan fiction every I, I was just immersed in it um you know like just just like considering writing chapters on where i think flemeth came from as a young man nice. or whatever you know so i was into yeah. it um so I was day one for Dragon Age 2. Um, <clears throat> initially, I kind of bounced. I didn't bounce off. I finished it when I started playing it. But um, the change in the combat style really kind of threw me off. Um, but I found myself sucked in again um, due to, uh, you know, the character stories and the writing. Um, and I left my time with it, my 40 or so hours with it um, the first time around, well, feeling pretty positive about it. I remember thinking that reading reviews that like, oh, I liked this game more than most people did. Um hmm. I tried going back to it like Josh did a couple of years uh, afterwards and and kind of bounced off it real hard. Uh, I was like, wow, I didn't... There was a lot of pieces that I maybe just glossed over the first time around because of my intense love for the franchise as a whole. Um, so going back and playing through it this time, I didn't end up finishing it. For, it would have been my third playthrough. Uh, finishing my third playthrough. It was really nice kind of having both of those experiences in my rear view, like one where I loved it, one where I was kind of lukewarm at best, and then it was able to kind of average it out this time so I could just kind of you know, kind of peel away, you know, all of my uh, previous conceptions about it and, and kind of view it for how it was. So, um, yeah, I probably spent, I, I mean, I probably spent over 100 hours with this game total um, over the course of the last, you know, uh, 10 years. You are qualified. Mm-hmm. Well done. Tony. Yeah, I mean, as as a, um, a Bioware fan, I, you know, playing Neverwinter Nights, Knights of the Old Republic, you know, Mass Effect, I was absolutely... <sighs> 
excited for the original Dragon Age Origins, and but it was a game that I, I when I looked at, it, I was like, that's not really my style. But I, I kind of pushed through and, and I and I played Origins, and I absolutely fell in love with Origins to the point where this was the the year of Uncharted Two had come out, and that was all the rage, and people were talking about that, and you know I adored that game, but actually Dragon Age Origins turned out to be my favourite game of that year. Um, And it's weird when you kind of look back at it because as Josh already alluded to, it wasn't a pretty looking game and it felt like it when I joked earlier about how long was it in development because it felt like it had been in development for such a long time that, you know, the industry had almost moved past it. But, you know, it there was something to it and I felt what what happened and, you know, it's fairly easy. I fell in love with the characters, Um, you know, and lots of little nuances of the stories of that game. And yeah, I, I look back on that really fondly. Um, so Dragon Age 2, obviously it's weird because it, it got sandwiched between kind of, well, Mass, Mass Effect obviously happened before Dragon Age Origins, but Mass Effect 2 came out slightly well, in between those two. And, it's, mm. and it felt like maybe Bioware just, I think they were caught slightly off guard by how big of a success Dragon Age Origins was. I think they felt like it was going to be a good title, but it seemed to blow up the way that they didn't expect. And, they, and it just got the sense that they had to get another game out. And that game was Dragon Age 2. And Mm. I remember being a sight at the time, but there was a lot of negative press around it. And for whatever reason, and I think this is pretty much I speak for most people, when it comes to an RPG of any kind and you realise you're going to sink in the best part of 40, 50, 60 hours into something, it doesn't take a lot to maybe... You know, knock you off kilter to not put that time in because you know it's a big investment. And I think the reviews were just as is. I was like, mm, maybe I'll, I'll wait a little while. And that waiting turned out to wait until 2021. Uh, I wasn't quite <laughs> yeah. expecting it to be <laughs> that bit of bigger gap, yeah. but that's what it turned out to be. And I guess that gives me a different perspective than some of the other people on the team here is that I, I I'm looking at it as a game. I try to look at it as you know, judge it as a game from 2011, but ultimately I'm looking at it in a you know eyes that are another ten years past. So there's a lots of stuff in it that I struggle with, but I I also have to kind of put it against Dragon Age Origins because you know that's the easiest kind of um, comparison to make, and you know that game had its shortfalls, shortcomings for sure. So that's where I'm going to try to look at it. But um, yeah, so I played Dragon Age 2 for the show over the last, I guess, month, month or so. Yeah, about 40. Which version and on what? Uh, Xbox Series X, um, I guess. 360 version. Yeah, the 360 on, yeah. version, Games with Gold, I think, I believe it was. I yeah. we, we talked about this in, in, in Slack and it was quite funny because I did actually buy the disc copy back probably somewhere yes. close to release. Yeah. Um, I still have it today sealed. Um, but... In between that, it's been on Games of Gold, it's available on Game Pass and all those other things. Yeah. So, you know, accessibility-wise, it was just easier to plug the disc. But, um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's how I come to Dragon Age Origin, uh, Dragon Age 2, 10 years further yeah. on. Yeah, similar for me, actually. I also bought the game on release at full price for the 360, played a little of it, and then set it aside in such a familiar tale I know. I can't actually remember if I'd even completed Origins at that time. So it was probably daft. Either I was thinking of lining them up or, you know, we always have these grand ambitions for for our playing. Um, I certainly, it was, as I say, we were still three years away from talking about 
origins on the podcast so uh i can't actually remember my my playing history and order of that one but whatever happened uh, at some point i uh i got i traded that copy in uh and later i bought the pc copy for a quid on origin um the pc version when i uh you know thought i had a pc that could actually perhaps make it you know look a bit better we'll talk about that later because i've i have recently had a look at that but i did uh, end up installing the games with gold version on also on my xbox series x and yeah uh, I, while i completely understand there's a you know, there's a lot of kind of skepticism about the new uh, generation of consoles at the moment particularly and you know whether the investment the financial investment is worthwhile but i think it's fair to say based on what i know about the original not what i remember because it was a long time ago but playing it on from a solid state drive on a new console probably made it a much more uh, free flowing experience than it might have been yeah. um, back at the but- time same with playing it on a PC on a on a on an SSD as well, of course. Yeah, the loading times aren't instant, but it's like a two second pause between areas. Yeah, that's area. wild. Yeah. yeah, they were very very slow at, back in the day. I I am led to believe even if you installed the game, and it really did. Uh, yeah, just sort of um, make the whole thing kind of fly, rather than getting feeling like you're getting bogged down. So yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. It's something that we're going to have to be very mindful of when we uh, when we talk about playing older games in in backwards compatibility because it can it can be transformative in some cases uh yeah so here we are and i played it for about 40 something hours and uh and finished it i played the first two discs uh first two discs first two it's not that big um <laughs> first two acts on normal difficulty until i got to what is a notorious uh difficulty spike at the end of act two uh and then i I gave that a fair few goes on the normal difficulty, but just realized it was ne- it was not going to happen. And because of the choices I'd made up to that point, I had no option. Apparently, you can get into a duel rather than a room-filling mm-hmm. battle. Uh, apparently, the duel is easier because it's a cheese because you can kind of kite the enemy round and uh, chip away. I didn't have that option. There, I tried every dialogue option, and it always ended up in this brawl. Uh, so there's a... There's a two. It's a two-stage fight. The first stage, he sets his honor guard on you. That was easy. I could do that without taking a dent. And then there's this just carnage, <laughs> just ridiculous battle where he sets everything on you. And I couldn't do it, so I dropped it to casual for that and did it first time. Then I thought, okay, well, that's a spike. I'll put it back up to normal difficulty. Um, then I got wiped about two or three times in the first sort of hour of disc three, act three. Once you've had that uh, taste of easiness. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I just, I thought I'm not really, uh, we'll You're get into, into it. But yeah. yeah, there are ways that th- there are definitely rewards to be had from playing it on, on the higher difficulties, but I wasn't, that wasn't how I was playing it. So I was fine with, with dropping it. Uh, what about you folks? Are you all normal or casual or a bit of both or, or hardcore? So I I learned from my experience with uh, Dragon Age Origins that I I um that I, I c- couldn't handle the harder difficulties when it came to CRPGs. So like for Dragon Age Origin, I ended up playing that game through multiple times. I ended up beating it on regular um or on normal or whatever the yeah. the difficulty was. Um, but I originally could or could only beat it on on easy. Yes. So I started Dragon Age two on easy, and what I what what I found was that about halfway through Act one, I thought that it was just far too easy. Mm-hmm. So I bumped it back up. 
and I almost had the exact same experience you did, Leon. <laughs> I got to the end yeah. act two and just got yeah. destroyed. So my second playthrough, I ended up doing it all through on normal, but knowing that difficulty spike coming, I just used okay. the internet to make sure I had an optimal build sure. slash yeah. reaction at that point. So yeah. um, so I ended up with a duel and, and a party that was well-suited. But first time through, no, no no shame at all. Just dropping it down. No, absolutely. Never any shame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same same here. I on on when I played it on 360, I dropped it to easy because I just found I I ran into the same issue you did, Leon. Like end of end of Act Two is just it's just a huge leap, and then I didn't I didn't switch it back like you did. I just <laughs> went it's casual all the way from here on out. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. But um, on PC, when I revisited it, um, I've, yeah, I've I've gone back to gone back to normal and and stuck with it. The interface on PC, uh, I think you can play it with a controller, so it's exactly the same. But by default, if you just have mouse and keyboard, it it sort of uh, goes back to a slightly more traditional CRPG kind of interface with a with a with a menu bar, and you you know you pause it all the time, which you can do on the console versions. But it just feels like it kind of lends itself more to that micromanagement. It is strange, isn't it? Because Origins clearly was a PC game that was kind of forced it onto the console. Yeah, just like we've got to get that onto console somehow. And they they made it work just about. And then it felt the other way, you know, Dragon Age 2 is... Yeah. It was very much a console game. And I remember at the yeah. time, a lot of people being very, very upset about, you know, the dumbing down of Bioware games for a casual sure. audience when you know they had this yep. kind of hardcore PC-centric title. And we Absolutely. knew this was going to happen. And that was actually a really big deal at the time. You know, people feeling that EA yeah. were just dumbing down Bioware. Now, little yes, did yeah. they know yeah. that was true. And they're still doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, That's absolutely. A- people were talking about the exact same thing with yeah. um, even even Knights of the Old Republic, which is now beloved at the time uh, because it was it was primarily an Xbox-led uh, game. Uh, again, all the, all the CRPG grognard hardcore mm-hmm. from, from back in the day from Baldur's Gate and, and whatever else were like, you know, what is this baby toy? I'm saying that's I'm I'm paraphrasing and speaking for a lot of people with uh, with a broad sweep, but you get the idea. It it almost made that difficulty spike. I know we're kind of getting a little ahead, but uh, a little bit more kind of jarring because I remember Dragon Age Origins. Like ev- almost every encounter, I'd be pausing, going to the <laughs> yep. tactile map, seeing where the traps are, seeing if there's yep. anything I can interact yep. with. And this game, for the majority of the first act, I was just you know, slamming on attack and then, oh, wait, I do have a skill as a rogue where I can turn invisible. Let me just use it because I haven't used it in an hour. You know, yeah. like it was that yeah. kind of feeling. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, it hits you. Um, So, yeah. There's a lot more stuff you can engage with if you want to play it on hardcore. I read a couple of forum posts when researching the game and, and looking for tips and stuff as well, sort of saying this game in the same way that there's Halo fans talk about legendary difficulty, this game comes alive on hardcore. I think people have said it about The Witcher 3 as well. Like, if you actually want to get into that super micro granular management of potions and skills and all that kind of thing, there is a there is more game in there for you. But equally, if you just want to win most of the fights and... Uh, you know, still have well, to, like, you still have to take plenty of potions. I think not and, to allude to later on, really, in, in, into the discussion, like, that's fine if I love the game. Like, I love Halo. Yeah. I'll play it on Legendary all day and every night because sure. I love Halo. I have to fall in love with the trappings of a game for me yeah, to yeah. put up with the, you know, the difficulties. And and also it's a totally different kind of difficulty. It is. Micromanaging characters and potions and abilities and spells is different to 
uh, an elite outflanking you and outshooting no, you. No, but in the very, like, you know, in Dragon Wage 1, I, I cared about my companions. You know, I didn't want to send them into, like, a, a, a doomed scenario, for, you know. And yeah. just in Dragon Age 2, it was like, well, Hawk's dead. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> who else have we got in my party? Let's go. Um, but, you know, we'll get on later. But, uh, yeah, I, there is there is moments in Dragon Age 2, just on normal, um, and I did play it through on normal, but... That doesn't make me anything really any more because that that I found myself ninety percent of the time, you know, smashing buttons and you know setting off uh, the odd spell here and there as I needed. And then there were those difficulty spikes where you just really, really had to then okay, how does this game play? Like, what what am yeah. I doing wrong? I need to learn right this second. Mm-hmm. How have I set up my companions? Like, okay, they're weak. I need to go in this battle with you know, a, a couple of um, fighters rather than mages here, or I need someone to heal. And those moments did occur. And, and actually, yeah, they were enjoyable. But, yes, yeah. you know, that kind of difficulty spike halfway through the game was, yeah, it, it didn't lead you into that very well. But Yeah. By all accounts, that is notorious, that particular fight for being mm. the, the bit. But, yeah, as I say, for whatever reason... Disc two, also, uh, disc two. What am I talking about? <laughs> act three, <laughs> act three, not disc two. Uh, act three continued in a, in a similar vein. Just some of the sort of more random encounters or mm-hmm. side quest fights. I just found myself getting wiped, uh, and that was after kind of tweaking the macros, sort of uh, you know trying to optimize my my party and stuff. But uh, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. I just suck, and uh, I, I made it easier for myself. <laughs> so fine, uh, I've finished the game. Uh, Ashman86 is our first correspondent in this podcast from the forum, says at E3 2004, Bioware revealed what was at the time just known as Dragon Age. Well, that answers our question. So five five years. They build it as a spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate that would combine that game's tactical gameplay and storytelling with the exploration of Neverwinter Nights and the Xbox era Bioware RPGs. To say I was excited is an understatement. And then we didn't hear about it again for four years, and I'd started to wonder if it had become vaporised. Vaporised it was not, however, and I found a second home on the Bioware forums once the game was re-revealed as Origins in 2008. Origins was everything I'd hoped it would be, and I bought it for both Xbox 360 and later PC, and sunk hundreds of hours in a game across multiple playthroughs. And then, all of a sudden, Dragon Age 2 was upon us. How could this be, I wondered. How are we already getting a sequel? My spidey sense was tingling. But Bioware had literally never let me down before. Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood was a close call. So you'd better believe I hopped right on that hype train. Before too long, they released a demo, and I can remember rushing home from work that day to play it. I kind of dug the stylized art direction. They were taking the series in, and the combat in the game felt action-packed and cinematic. The environments in the demo felt a little bland, but hey, it was a demo. After the final game was released, I could barely believe my eyes the first time I saw that one dungeon with the waterfall a second time. Was this supposed to be the same area, I wondered? No, it couldn't be. Bioware was reusing assets. And that action-packed combat? Sure, it was fun, but it came at the cost of the tactical isometric style combat I'd come to love in Origins, at least on PC. Baldur's Gate, this was not... And to make matters worse, the game's reliance on spawning hordes of enemies out of thin air really rubbed me up the wrong way. I dropped the game, hardly believing what had happened. I blamed EA for rushing Bioware and complained to anyone who would listen to me about how angry I was that EA had snatched up my favourite developer. 
Two months later, The Witcher 2 arrived and gave me the Bioware-style RPG my heart desired. I wouldn't return to Dragon Age 2 until just before Inquisition came out, after forcing myself to play the game to completion. I found that I liked it better than I originally gave it credit. The characters were great, the combat was still fun, if cheap at times, and I really loved that the nearly the entire game was set in just one big city. Still, Dragon Age 2 will never be able to shake that initial bitter taste it left in my mouth, and Bioware's never really been the same company since, in my eyes. I mean, I certainly remember alarm bells ringing, as uh, as Ashman says, when they announced the game so soon and they said it was coming out so soon. I remember discussing it with uh, our Jay, Editor Jay, uh, and saying that I was concerned that it wouldn't be, how could it possibly be, you know, <laughs> what the previous, up to the game's previous standards. But obviously I uh, I put my my concerns to one side to buy the thing um but it, yeah it was it was it was rushed it, it, there there's no way it wasn't uh i i haven't found any reports of kind of development uh hell stories out there but i know there was some criticism leveled at bioware and ea for the production of inquisition and that was considerably uh, that was uh, 3 or 4 years yeah, 4 years in development I think. Wasn't it? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's get into the scenario. Uh, so one of the key events early in the first game was the destruction of the village of Lothering by the Darkspawn. Uh, this is from Moby Games. However, we weren't told that there was at least one person who survived the onslaught, a human named Hawk, surname Hawk. Having become a refugee, Hawk travels to an area known as the Free Marches, more specifically the city of Kirkwall. Hawk's family shares the fate with many other Ferelden refugees. The authorities of Kirkwall are suspicious of the newcomers, and the path of financial stability is anything but easy. Meanwhile, the appearance of the mysterious race of Kunari heralds more trouble to the inhabitants of Kirkwall, as does the growing tension between the Templars and the mages. Hawk is caught in the middle of these political and social conflicts. What shall be the hero's own path? Well, if you play the game, uh, you become... You inevitably, while there are choices and there are even, uh, you could import your save from the previous game. If uh, e e I think there are even ways of, up um, was it same format only this time? I think on Inquisition, you could actually upload a save and download it to a different console or different format and stuff. Honestly, stuff I can't like that. remember. I think with Inquisition, they did that thing where you could download the app and like simulate that's your... It, yeah thing beforehand yeah. like your backstory beforehand i'm pretty sure that's how that went yeah so i don't think um well it has a few hooks into the narrative in this obviously my dragon age origins save i, I don't even know if if i had the cloud when i played that through whether that was even an X xbox 360 thing back then but i didn't have the save up in the cloud so i had to play with one of the uh i just played with the canonical default scenario there are three options i think or you can customize your own uh, did anyone bring in their save i know it affects certain elements like guest characters and uh and pretty much just how people in the world refer to the events of the previous game but i don't think it has a a transformative effect on your story uh no i i I wanted to see if I had a Dragon Age 1 save, so I loaded up Dragon One, uh, Dragon Age 1. I didn't, it didn't pull off my save, so I was like, huh. No. Then I played Dragon Age 2, and it was like, oh, you have a save in Dragon Age 1, which was just me oh. booting up Dragon Age 1 to see whether I had oh, a save. Right. So that's what I yes. went with, like, sure. sure, that was whatever my scenario is. But yeah, I lost, I, I must have lost that many years ago, which is a shame. Yeah. But I did, I did know, but it, 
I did remember what ba the basic things I did in Dragon Age 1, and I, I couldn't personally see where the hooks even would have lied really within Dragon Age 2. Not, not in the way mm -hmm. of it being on the front of the box kind of selling like bring your decisions from dragon age one not in not in the no. mass effect kind of way okay no yeah, this, right this yeah. has had a you know a, a, a real impact in my story going ahead and you've got this uh wraparound uh frame narrative with unreliable narrator varick who is uh telling the story to uh some kind of uh, inquisitor dragon age 2 uses a frame narrative the story is narrated over a decade later by one of Hawke's companions, similarly to Alpha Protocol, the narrative is rather flexible. Motivations and events vary depending on the player's moral choices during the game. The game also adopts the wheel-based dialogue system from Mass Effect, short responses that reflect different tones and attitudes the player wishes to choose for Hawk. Also, similarly to Mass Effect, the main character's race and name cannot be changed. However, everything else, appearance, gender, class, can be freely customised. Um... Hawk's responses, like I, I, I appreciate the dialogue wheel. I still like. I still think that works really well. Um, the sort of the fact that you can kind of make these quite snappy dialogues. The fact that you can cut short many people's lines of speech with a prod of the X button. What I find is that I think a lot of the game's lines are overwritten to the extent that I pretty much self-edit out the final phrase of each person's dialogue because it's a lot snappier and leaves more to the imagination if you do that. But also what I found is Hawk's middle uh, option on the wheel, which is the hilarious sarcastic <laughs> reply. They were mo they were almost exclusively. I had no real problems with the serious good reply or the serious bad reply. But the Saki wisecracking replies were almost uniformly cringeworthy. Yeah, that yeah. proper dad joke territory. Yeah. <laughs> I um I made a commitment to myself on this last playthrough. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish it through too. Um, where I every single <laughs> reply I make is the middle option. Like every single time. Well, I mean, only because this is now my third time playing the game, and I realize that this is probably the most Bioware dialogue I haven't experienced because I just actively <laughs> avoided it. Um, but yeah, no, they're 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 really bad, and sometimes like. I don't want to give too much credit to the emotional weight of the story and things like we'll talk about that a little bit later. It doesn't really earn a lot of the like the big moments it goes for, but like it's sometimes like there will just be a big moment and every character is just covered in blood and then you just make Shining. this wise crack about the person that just died like uh, like it's kind of it's kind of cringeworthy bordering on like who thought this was a good idea at certain times, yeah. you know. It's weird because I think one of the things I would like to praise about the game, we'll talk about it more, but the, the the generally the dialogue and the amount of interactions, banter, back and forth there is between all the multiple characters and the multiple in different places is is quite extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I I think it, it's quite telling um, to me that uh, Varric and Cassandra, who's the Inquisitor. Um, end up being part of your party in Dragon Age Inquisition. I see. Because it feels like they knew, even at yeah. the time, like they, they had something here. It's just this wasn't the game for those characters to shine. Yeah. Um, because, like, yeah, I, you know, I really like the device of Varric as an unreliable n narrator. I think it adds a flavor and a texture to what would otherwise be quite a you know quite clinical sterile plot 
Um, mm. And Varric, like, I think, you know, Steve Bloom is a really good voice actor and he, he gives Varric a lot of charm and charisma. And I think, like, yeah, like, I, I do think he um, and Cassandra end up kind of elevating some of the more dry moments of the yeah. plot. It, yeah. it has that real essence of, like, you know, he's kind of, he's not necessarily being, he's not shackled to the chair, he's not being tortured or anything, but, he, like, it does have this real, like, you know, police interrogation feel to it, where she's just like, you know, give me the truth, and he's like, what do you want me to say? This is what happened. Like, it's got this, like, very, like, um, realistic and reasonable relationship between the two of them, where Cassandra just wants the information right now, and Varric's like, hey, you kind of need the context of all this stuff. Like, it adds that extra layer of uh, gravity to maybe some of the scenes, like you said, Josh, that, like, we're a little dry, maybe didn't have as much, but then you hear Varric talking about the importance of those events in the context of everything else. Like it adds that little layer of world building that, you know, maybe with the time of development they didn't have time to really put in the game proper. So um I, I enjoy that too. And I thought the the little gag where he starts talking about the or you you play the point that he enters a haunted house all on his own and starts blasting hundreds of people away <laughs> with his crossbow. Uh, I thought that was genuinely quite funny as well. I, I, I found it really hard because I didn't like Hawk particularly at all. And yeah. because he's, yeah, he's your main. Should have played always go femme. <laughs> Did you play male Hawk? Yes. <laughs> That's all, all never. Everyone knows. Well, no, I, and I have played all the Mass Effect Pets games of friendship, but no, I, I, okay. Well, then maybe that would have changed my entire feeling towards I, this I, game. I started a game with with Nicholas Bolton's Male Hawk uh, on the PC just to see, and yeah, I got to say, I'm although Joe Wyatt's Saki comments were uh, incredibly annoying, as I said. Um, I thought her performance throughout the game was absolutely fine, quite likable a lot of the time so i think maybe that's the old mass effect just for whatever reason whether it's purely in the writing whether it's purely in the performances or a bit of both for whatever reason i think they're female characters okay well now i feel really bad because i could have played a more interesting character because hawk is just dull beyond all belief right male hawk i just i just i just couldn't get under his his skin of really working who he was yes he'd lost his his, you know, his family kind of wealth, and and that was the whole of Act One to get that back, and you know, to regain his their their statehood in society. Like, fine, um, but that's like if you compare yeah, compare that to Origins, that's like really generic, basic stuff in in comparison to how Origins yeah. you know starts out, you know, um, and that just continues all the way through. Like, I found I found myself being drawn to lots of like Isabella in particular like I absolutely I found her her charms to be brilliant and you know I liked her, you know liked her story you know Sebastian and people like that I, I found those stories you know the side stories in the background far more interesting and you know I'd, I'd want to mm. to engage in side stories rather than engage in the main plot because the main narrative of the plot and the way that it was broke across these three acts just they just felt like they were placeholders because they didn't have anything kind of better to get to the next set of games. It Origins, I think the way the easiest way to look back on this is like Origins is an adventure. You know, you you have a set you know have a set of characters and they need to traverse across the lands to you know to well you've got 
arguments between werewolves and air, el, el, werewolves and the, the elves and kind of trying to find the the dwarf king and and you know pick sides there and there's political intrigue but it's like there's multiple it, it always feels like there's a gray area between who did what <laughs> and it felt like the journey like trying to get Alistair to to become king or not king and whether that's the right decision in this it's just like do I want Hawk to achieve these goals and is you know is he the right person to try to separate the Templars and the mages and you know can he lead them out of this and become a I, I, I just never fell for the main story so the whole yeah, that's going to be a problem so the whole time you know this is like 43 hours I'm sat there going I just I just don't enjoy the way they've set up this story and because the way it's set up into acts it feels really bitty and because it feels bitty in the in the story it feels bitty in the gameplay and the way they set up the rooms and ah uh, it's yeah it's really yeah. odd um the th- the thing with me, like, because at the time, back in 2011, I really loved what it was doing with the story. Now, I, I, I do tend to agree with you, but maybe with, like, for a different reason. Like, I'm just frustrated that these great ideas aren't executed to a higher standard. Because I think, like, the conflict between the Templars and the Mages, uh, the conflict with the Kunari... All of that stuff is really potentially really interesting, especially the Kunari, um, the Kunari plotline. I think like the idea of a clash of cultures rather than just like here's the big bad, like yeah. that's really interesting in a fantasy setting. But Ends up in a just... boss fight regardless of what you do. Right? Yeah, 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 that's the thing. Like, there's just not enough time. There's not enough time to invest in it. Yeah. That was annoying to me, as well as that difficulty spike from a gameplay perspective. Yeah. I'd spent the entire act dealing with him in the most diplomatic way I could possibly could because yeah. I didn't necessarily hate him or blame him for why he was there. And, and yeah. I was trying to respect, you know, there, there are some options saying basically like, why don't you go back where you come from if you don't like it here so much? Um, and I was trying to avoid taking those. But uh, but then it still boiled down to actually the um, the entire... Uh, sort of attract mode on the game the 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 cg sequence is the duel mm-hmm. isn't it it's the fight it's the fight between those two characters so there is absolutely no avoiding it regardless josh and brian sorry did you play male hawk or female hawk so my first hawk uh, i played male um i had a male shepherd too man i i, I made the wrong decisions <laughs> um there um but of course, I uh, I named him Ethan just because um, yes, that's who I am, yes. and uh, yes. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I found it very just not interesting at all. And we were just in the kind of the heyday of these boring, boring protagonists in video games. I think it was just kind of part of uh, maybe that's being a little too harsh, like uh, kind of condemning the industry. But it was just like like kind of like dark haired bland male protagonist like it, yeah. it it did almost it did almost nothing for me at the time the the second yeah. um that my second third playthrough i played through as a female hawk and enjoyed it hmm. immensely more and even in this last one uh when i was talking about picking the middle option all the time like it's bad but her delivery of the bad lines is still right. better like you know what i mean mm-hmm. it just it it's um yeah, it, 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 I find it. I find it more interesting. I find the character more interesting when uh, voiced by a, a female voice actor. I don't. I don't know her name. I should have uh, looked that up. But yeah, that's uh, that's Joe Wyatt. Okay. Yeah. Is thanks. is uh, is 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 her? It, it doesn't help though that, that the the mages and the Templar storyline was done in the first game to 
I, I feel like a better effect regardless. I mean, maybe it doesn't mm. come to the very precipice of the the actual organisations having to, you know, make these grand decisions of how they're all just m- will move forward. But there's more of an understanding of, you know, blood magic and, and you get the feeling how how the mages have come to to utilise blood magic. Um, and yet, I mean, here it feels like they are absolutely being persecuted. And, and that's one of the things I did like about this game, that kind of, well, if you persecute a, a whole section of society, well, what do you think is eventually going to happen? Of course, you know, it's going to boil over and, you know, one of you will become a, a victor and loser. It won't necessarily be what, what you assume it be. And and I actually like that decision towards the end is like, who are you going to go with? Are you, are you going to be a Templar? Are you going to go, you know, be a mage? And actually either sides have their own idiosyncrasies where you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, the the thing the thing that I find frustrating about the mage versus templar plotline, uh, and it's especially in in this game um, versus um, their appearance in in Origins and then Inquisition, is that they paint the mages as um, you know this disenfranchised this you know like an allegory for any kind of prejudice that uh, mm-hmm. has existed in history. But then they're using blood magic all the bloody time, like that, and they're like becoming possessed by demons left, right, and center. And the thing, like the the thing about real world prejudice, is that the people who commit it think they have a point, but they don't. Whereas in Dragon Age Two, they do have a point because, <laughs> like, the the thing that they're afraid of happens yeah. all the time. And I feel, and I just like. You know, I remember the like a moment in um, The Witcher Three that really stuck uh, stuck with me because The Witcher Three also has a persecuted mages storyline. Mm-hmm. Is if you manage to successfully get the mages out of the city um, in The Witcher Three, you come back and suddenly all the racists are like hang uh, not hanging, um, putting dwarves and elves on the pyre because. Mm. It wasn't actually about the mages at all. They just yeah. had an excess of anger and hate, and now they've picked the next group that they're going to fire at. And that was just, like, to me, that was a much more, like, mm. that was a better understanding of where this comes from. Like, it's just negative energy, and it's be- and the mages were a lightning rod, and now the dwarves and the elves are a lightning rod. Whereas here, in Dragon Age 2, they try to make the racists somewhat justified and i just that's not how prejudice works like is that yeah is is that i i, I wasn't quite I, I totally get what you're saying but i wasn't yeah. quite sure obviously it so happens that a lot of the mages that you have dealings with end up using blood magic b- because that's obviously creates way more gameplay situations but i thought if the overall implication was you know, as with um, those, those with prejudices, attitudes towards Muslims, the kind of people who would say, well, they're all terrorists or they're, you know, they're all got the potential to be terrorists. Wouldn't, isn't that what, you well, know. That's why, that's why I think Origins and Inquisition do a much better job of dealing mm-hmm. with this because they, they come, you know, they face that, right? Like just because a small portion of the population can do that, that doesn't mean you should damn everyone in that population. But in Dragon Age 2, like the way you frame a group of people matters, and the way they frame mages in this yeah, game right. is that everyone is going to be a demon if you if well, you take their eyes off And even to, that, to highlight that yeah. point, is it the first enchanter, is it Sarno? 
they they're like the head the head yeah. mage and whether you play it yeah. whether you side with the mages or, or the templars at the end of the game uh, so i played out the ending two different ways just to to kind of see you know, how how that would oh, yeah. be like the end result is still the same like asano he, he yeah. decides to um become a you know, ultimately like the 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 king blood mage he, he you know, because he feels like the battle's already lost like i chose to be with the mages i'm set with your side and he chooses that he needs to go full blood mage to actually you know although he's never used it before to actually beat the templars and it's like well hang on no i chose to to help you here like why are you doing this so and i thought well, well that's odd so i'll I played it what I would class as the the more negative way with go side with the Templars, and you know that in that regards, I suppose it makes sense because he feels so persecuted that he would need to do that regardless. And it just felt like why like it, the story's going to kind of pan out the same way regardless of what I choose anyway. Yeah, well, I guess we can only speculate, but you would assume that with the shortened development cycle, one of the things that would almost certainly be sacrificed would be sweeping changes depending yeah, on player but, agency. But Leon, there is, and you you referenced this earlier. There's hours and hours and hours of voice dialogue in this game. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. make yeah. make the core story work. Whether you know, have a few branches, you know, branching paths. That's fine. Don't have hours and hours of what I class as that kind of Star Wars Episode One dialogue, which you know you find yourself almost drifting to, like who, what, where, why. And yes, you know, if you're into the lore of Dragon Age, I'm sure there's some stuff there that was absolutely fascinating. But I found myself doing some quests where I was just like, I don't care, like what is happening here? And I and I never felt like that in Origins. And I don't know, that makes me sound like I don't care. But I, you know, it's I felt like the game at times just it it wasn't engaging me in the way that it needed to, even though they'd put the time and effort to record so much. Um, I think that the the thing is when you're working on a project like this and you have incredibly tight deadlines mm-hmm. and you're working overtime and all of that, you just go on autopilot. Um, I'm, I'm sure anyone who's been involved in a project like this can can um, sympathize with that. Like you just make decisions because they meet, need to be made. And I think a lot of what you're you're talking about is just like if they had two years, if they had three yeah. years, they would have been like, no, this isn't working. Cut it. Well, like, no, yeah, like, we, yeah. we need to focus on this because. And this, sometimes this you get working. gold from those crunch situations. I've got to say, and I'm not I'm not advocating uh, poor treatment of workers, but there are definitely games throughout history that have obviously creatively benefited from a necessity as the mother of invention kind of point of view but sometimes it probably more often than not it doesn't but, work but out what would have been a better scenario i feel for this game just embrace that it was a shorter development time that it is a what could be a shorter game and actually just you know we always say you know, an editor is almost one of the most critical things in anything is actually just take a really condensed story, make the core factor really interesting and get to those points a lot quicker rather than trying to pad it yeah. out to a 45, 60 hour experience when you've got 20 uh, hours. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't but know. That's, I, I, yeah, that's the thing that like, I, I think you need to be thinking about the context of the time too. Yeah. Because, yeah. because like, they're, they're, especially during this time, um, during the, the, the Xbox 360, like you had, you had $60 games that were coming out that were four or five hours long. 
And like, yeah. and like, it was as important at the time. I remember that I would literally go to how long to beat before I bought a game because at the time with my with my budget and everything else, like, and if you have, wow, this is a forty to fifty do- fifty hour adventure, like, wow, I'm really gonna get my money's worth out of this game. There wasn't, I don't think, as compared to now where we have these hundred hour epics like Breath of the Wild, where it feels like every minute is earned, and then you also have these you know, 10, 12 hour stories in like The Last of Us and, and other narrative based games. Like, I just feel like the nuance for that structure didn't quite mm. exist then yet. And I yeah. feel like there was a lot of a lot of value placed upon how big this game is. And I think I think you can kind of see it in here, like where a lot of things, a lot of better decisions story wise, uh, setting wise could have been made um, like because because what Leanne said earlier, like having it all set in Kirkwall, like itself, like like it. It, it makes for some interesting scenarios. You really get to know that city and you really get to know like the, the ins and outs of it. But I think they maybe, and this is me uh, c- just using conjecture, but like we're valuing the length of the experience more than the quality. David Guider and five other writers penned the game's narrative. Uh, the team hoped to move away from Origins narrative formula. It was criticized for being a predictable and formulaic hero's journey. As a result, the team decided to make the narrative more personal focusing on one character over the course of several years with a frame structure that allows the story to skip periods that do not interest players. To offer a more focused experience, the team decided to ditch players' origin stories. Inspired by Planescape Torment, Hawk is fully voiced as opposed to the Warden, the silent player character in Origins. Dr. Raphael from our forum says, With Origins and Awakening, I enjoyed the gameplay, but it was the story and more specifically the world of Thetis that the team at Bioware had created that I was so taken with. And that is what I was coming back for. In my mind, I think they did a great job with the story. The overarching Mage vs. Templar plot may lack enough nuance to be really effective, although for years I have been consumed with the fear that my siding with the Chantry is saying things about the real me that I don't want to know. (laughs) But the depth added to the characters, the focus on such a small area over many years, and the diversity of peoples and factions in such close proximity does create a rich and absorbing narrative few games are able to match. Comparing it to the otherwise superior Inquisition, I'm happy with the choice they made to focus on Kirkwall rather than have miles of open world, sort of, to struggle to fill with interesting plot beats and characters. The change to a largely predefined protagonist was also a good one, in my opinion. Likely emulating the success of Shepard in Mass Effect, not only did it allow for better writers than me to words in the character to put words in the character's mouth it also added the emotional weight a voice actor can bring the companions are all well realized and give you real reasons to end up on either end of their friendship spectrums the act structure keeps the tension of the story better than many open world games do it's the writing of dragon age 2 that allows it to shine and for me to overlook any weaknesses it otherwise has the best indicator of just how much i liked it is that it made me so excited for the next game that I went full on hype, hovering up any old clickbait news about the game almost daily for like a whole year before release. One thing I wanted to mention was a podcast uh, I used to listen to at the time. I don't know if it's still going. Um, I was lucky enough to podcast with a couple of their number, but uh, Gamers With Jobs, one of the uh, relatively early day, uh, early podcasting Days people, uh, one of many that I tuned into. Uh, around the time this came out, uh, they added a female contributor to their ranks whose name I can't remember. I don't know if she's still involved or doing anything. My apologies. 
Um, but she was obsessed with Dragon Age 2. She talked about it all the time. She would replay it and replay it. She said it was like her, her it was it was her game that she played for, you know, kind of therapy. She just absolutely loved everything about it. The the I, I think almost the fact that it was maybe the fact that it was repetitive and 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 stuff was kind of comforting in some ways. The fact that you re, you know you you don't have that sense of going into strange new foreboding places. You just keep going in the same dungeons and you know exactly where the enemies are going to be. I don't know, but I think more than anything, uh, I don't know if anyone knows who I'm talking about, but she was just in love with the the group of characters in, in this game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's Amanda Knowlton um, might be the, could be talking about. Um, I listened to gamers with jobs a long for time. Yeah, years too. Um, it, there is something very comforting to that I think. Um, it it does, whether it's the same the same exact place or same setting. Um, there is if you can kind of get into that flow state a little bit with Dragon Age Two, like there is, um, there it has that uh that checklisty feeling. You know what I mean? You you see the city map and you can see the three sections and they all have the little quest icons above them. So it's like okay, I'm gonna go to Lowtown at night and take care of all these things. It, it, it there is something comforting there that i could definitely um and i felt that when i settled into act two on my uh, on this recent playthrough like i was just kind of like like going on you know hitting it at a, at a real nice clip and it just like it felt good the the structure the the um the pacing almost even though there's some issues with the story pacing but the the pacing of like the drip feed of quests coming back to your home having the mess the letter on your desk okay now i have two quests in these area oh i can chop off these other things it, it really it does have the ability to feel to feel very comfortable. Yeah, and I, and I do think these characters are just pleasant to spend time with. Yeah. Like Leon mentioned before, the like the dialogue and the back and forth and the you know the the uh, jabbing and and poking of of the uh, the characters are like it's it is entertaining, it is fun, and it's maybe not you know the strongest cast um, that Bioware have ever mm. put together, but. They, you know, that their writers clearly have chops, and like, yeah, these people are pleasant to be around. Although I, I've obviously come across as fairly negative on this, there, there is elements to the story that I, you know, I may not like the overarching story, but actually some of the side quests I, I really did like. I, you know, there, I remember there being a psycho, I think it was Aveline, who's um, like she's had in dating trouble, and <laughs> you go off and you, yeah. like one of the most awkward scenes of her trying to. Um, you know, make well, court a, another man without him knowing by a hawk, and it's really awkward and embarrassing, but kind of funny to go through. And I, I like Isabella's kind of story of not feeling like she settles down anywhere yet. You know, she from in my game, she she fell for hawk, and you know, finding the that maybe actually there there was a way to to escape the kind of the pirate life, and that people believed in her. And that I mean, that goes throughout. And one of the things actually, when I sat there and read the quest and I was like, well, okay, what am I doing next? It did actually make you take stock of what you were doing and which companions sh you should take if you're worrying about the friendship stuff. So for instance, if you know, mm. you, I, I liked Fennis as a character because he was, you know, he's a really strong party me member that very rarely died. Um, but I was acutely aware that he wasn't a big fan of mages. So any quest where I felt like I was going to have to, full on the you know full with the mages it was like well that's that's not a quest to take him on what class were you by so the way? one of the big things and i wish i'd worked this out sooner i just picked a generic kind of um hack and slash character 
So yeah, I think again, I think like th- this is just my opinion, of course. But um, I think you've by picking the male hawk who's hey, he's a on warrior, the you've Come made on, you've like that's who they made the game as, about as boring as you possibly. But so now, what I learned, what I learned <laughs> about halfway through the game after just going, look, I'm not gelling with so many aspects of this. I learned actually just to almost abandon Hawk and play almost exclusively as Isabella as a rogue and use her moves. Right, and right, I, right. Then, yeah. then the actual combat in the game came alive and I found that there you go. a lot more yeah. interesting. I found her style of kind of engaging a lot more interesting. And yeah. once I put the main main quest to kind of one side, I, yeah, I, I did dig the actual side characters. And, and listening to what we're saying now, it's like, Maybe I, maybe I expected Dragon Age Two, even though I knew it wouldn't be. Maybe I expected it to be the same kind of open world adventure that Dragon Age One would be, because you know that's what the series had been known for. And what I was presented was with actually a collection of interesting characters that were maybe should have been my main focus or were my main focus, and an overarching story which kind of just felt it was almost just in the background. Yeah, but. You- I, we we keep coming back to this point though. Like I I think like this is clearly this is clearly not a game where it was destined to be a disaster. Like right from the it's word not a terrible go. Game. Like no. there is plenty. Yeah, there's plenty sure. of components here that like you you just talking about like story moments with characters that really work for you. Like in isolation, I I don't know how I feel about like the plot overall. But in isolation, the moment where Anders. Um, you know, d- delivers his terrorist attack on the cathedral. Like I thought, that was like a genuinely, genuinely quite shocking and bold story moment. Like Jesus, this is this is a party member who's done something that I like am massively morally conflicted about. And like I don't like I I can't remember the Mass Effect series ever doing something that brave with a with a at least like a main party member. But like it's like that that gem that little diamond is nussled in with all the other mm-hmm. like yeah. the the garbage that you're referring to, um, Tony. Like you you have to dig that those diamonds are there, but you just have to keep digging for them. I can I can remember specifically a conversation that I was just running around Kirkwall um, doing some quests, and uh, it, I think my party was uh, was Varric, Anders, and um, and Fenris. And Varric was just poking the bear between both of them to try to get them to fight. You know, he's just like mm. he's like he's like you know Anders, uh, you know Fenris doesn't like mages. And he's like, oh really? And Fenris <laughs> like, I'm not I, not that I don't like mages. I just disagree with. And and Varric is kind of you know, oh, it sounds like he sounds like he sounds doesn't have a problem with you. He just has a problem with your nature. And like he's just mm-hmm. like poking. And eventually Hawk is just like, can you stop Varric? And Varric's like, oh, I can't help myself. And like in that moment, I felt like. I really was just walking around with three other characters that I knew so well. And Origins did that very and well, then, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. So like that incidental stuff can it can be great, and I think that's like that's one of the things too. I feel like I've been fairly negative talking about this game, but there's moments like that that you know bring a smile to my face. I'm walking around with this party. Oh, I feel like I know these people, and it's just yeah. it's really nice that those interactions are really nice. It's just they're not maybe not as cohesive with the whole experience. I was really impressed by how sophisticatedly it seemed to deal with the fact that I ended up romancing two characters. <laughs> I had uh, my my mage got involved with Isabella, the pirate woman, you know, who's 
basically, you know, a bit easy in the sense that she's just very up for it wherever she goes and whoever she wants to be around, she she will happily do it without qualms and then end up getting involved in a proper relationship with Meryl. And uh, and Meryl actually moves in with me and all this kind of stuff. Now, there was a one inconsistency here, which kind of the timeline of the game makes a bit of a mockery of because um, there's there's a few examinable objects in your house and one of them i can't remember what it is but uh your character hawk says um this is still the only thing that meryl's moved in um perhaps she doesn't feel comfortable kind of living here yet but um she said this twice either side of a three-year gap in the story <laughs> so well, and I- uh but apart from that like the fact that i was able to romance two different characters and there were even kind of little exchanges about it between the different parties about how, yeah, but, you know, kind of being with being with Isabella is just one of those things that people do. And, you know, being with Meryl is is kind of a, you know, un- understandably more of a commitment. In, interesting, because kind of I, I, I took the is- Isabella relationship all the way to its conclusion beyond the conclusion um, okay. where, you know, it, it really plays on her mind that, you know, she's not. She's not a, a girl that settles down. She's never found a place or never, or never found a person yeah, to right. because yeah. she's always been on the run from somebody within that life. And actually, it's a massive commitment for her to commit to Hawk, which I found to be actually, you know, that's pretty good. And, but I also ended up in a relationship at the same time with Anders, like it, almost entirely accidentally. <laughs> I was like, well, well, I suppose I can two time you two. And then then that kind of that comes up because Anders is like, well, hang on a minute, you are dating Isabella. Like, how committed are you to me? And I had to actually say, look, I'm I'm committed to Isabella. And I kind of, I, I felt like I was breaking his heart. I was like, oh my God, I'm, so, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, man. And yeah. then he was a bit off for me, you know, with me for, you know, a little bit after the game. And so th- th- there, like Josh said, there is, there is nuggets there. Like there, there is nuggets to be found in these characters. And that's where I found my entertainment was within these uh, you know collection of characters and, and following their their side quests because I think I've pretty much done all the all the achievements related around their side quest stuff and some are really quite hard to kind of guide your way through of you know what is the correct and incorrect answer because sometimes you can be picking something that leads you down a path you didn't quite expect it to go down and hmm. yeah we should say there's although there's a definite shortage of locations there's no shortage of quests and stories to go with those quests like there's there's plenty of content in that yeah. regard uh, it's obviously just the the visual side that they couldn't keep yeah. up with the written side there's always there's always a noble woman who's lost a scarf mm. and you always got to find that scarf and bring it back to her that just happens that's true <laughs> yeah. there's there's a few kind of bog standard uh, <laughs> classic rpg quests but there's there's some more there's some more involved stuff in there it just happens that it's all set in the same small handful I, of I've location. not played inquisition but how much do they take from Dragon Age 2 because it seems like Dragon Age 2 takes a little bit from the origin story I mean it has Flemeth in that in, in, in for instance <laughs> oh so character wise v- very heavily okay. from Dragon Age 2 um in fact the the whole conversation with um Varric and Cassandra kind of leads directly into the beginning of Dragon Age Inquisition okay um and Varric and Cassandra and uh, Liliana and there's some other um, divine, I forget the title, Justinia, um, the divine. Uh, they they're all they're they're all heavily um, featured. And then also um, there's 
some spoilery territory for Dragon Age Inquisition that okay. I probably won't get into, but further on down the line, there's more reference to Dragon Age 2 as well. Okay. The reviewist from the forum says, I didn't play Dragon Age 2 until some time after release with Inquisition upon the horizon. And for the first third of the game, I was more than a little, a little baffled by some of the choices. I did like the setting, although the choice to force your character into being human initially seemed stifling. I went with it and I had some fun, always with my eye on this great expedition that loomed on the horizon. Sure, there were odd decisions, many repeatedly reused assets and enemies constantly abseiling in like drop troops from the sky, but I was still enjoying it. But then it came, the Dwarven Mines, and almost immediately ended in tragedy and I was home again. And that's when I realised <laughs> this is a game about making your situation your home, making the people around you your family. Not the usual Knights of the Old Republic-esque whistle-stop tour of kingdoms picking up cool dudes in every town to fill out a party. That's when the game clicked for me and I fell in love with it and with Kirkwall as a place. With that mindset, I was completely invested in the character, in cleaning up this town of scum and villainy while worrying about those irksome Canari who were so pointedly not like us in such a painfully on-the-nose way that the allegories for immigrants, different belief systems, cultures and religions couldn't be avoided. And by the end, I was genuinely saddened to leave the city. It was my home. Now, sure, the game is far from perfect there are a lot of issues. The writing, while trying to address real-world problems in a fascinating way, is both great and terrible. Ideas such as forcing you to be human so you become both an outsider to many of the game's characters work brilliantly till they are let down by stock cliches and tropes and the unbelievable dropping of the line, we have found a final solution to the mage problem. Near the end, that made my eyes roll. But even with that in mind... Dragon Age 2 will always be for me an absolute diamond in the rough, an RPG game that dared to play by its own rules. Interesting, huh? One of those, I'm glad we, we found at least one of those uh, genuine lovers of the game, uh, because it does, for those people it really hits for, it seems to really, really hit for, for whatever reason, shortcomings and all. We haven't talked about the, the graphics yet, uh, other than the the fact there aren't many of them, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Dr. Raphael from the forum says uh, it's ridiculous that in a game that could have gotten away with you having to visit the same places over and over due to the plot staying in one place, they still used quite so few assets. I've played the game several times and I still struggle to distinguish one place from another. Who knows how I felt at the time, but barring the main characters, it's all pretty ugly to look at, too. Yeah, they drab. Yeah. Drab is the word that springs to mind for Dragon Age Two for me. It's it, it's also I think a, it's important to remember it was a consequence of the times. Like at, many games of this era had very brown, black, gray color palettes as their kind of base. Sure, it, but again, this is Mass Effect Two times. <laughs> yeah, That's oh, a sure. pretty no, beautiful, colorful I, game. I'm not I'm not trying to excuse it. Like, and I think that we we had a, a discussion a little bit on the Slack the other day. It just, it just yeah. it's so brown and gray and just like it just it feels like it sucks the life out of it but but i think it's an artistic choice to an extent well yeah because you were uh, saying that you that, kind of appreciated the bleakness well i i almost the i admire the commitment to it even though it, it's not you know it's kind of willfully unappealing um and it is this weird combination obviously the reused assets give it a certain kind of place in your mind then you've got this kind of bleakness the drabness the game is actually running at a higher resolution than dragon age origins did on the xbox 360 which was already a pretty mm -hmm. rough 
looking game mm-hmm. as as yeah. we've discussed in many ways but it had some nice aspects to it and it had a lot of diff- you know there was variety and um there was you know there was a certain amount of craft gone into the armor and all this kind of stuff whereas here everything and obviously i am aware it is a 10 year old game and i was it is not what i bought my xbox series x necessarily to play uh on but um even by 2011 standards it's it's rough looking like the characters are, are stiff and wooden and pale and there's virtually no lighting of any kind yeah. anywhere yeah. Like, i now that you say that leon i didn't even think about the fact that it came after mass effect 2 i'm just i'm thinking of the of the glowing purple of the citadel in that game compared to some of the things in this game you're absolutely right yeah. it, it does yeah. it uh, strikes a contrast yeah, I yeah, I, I the the issues of this game are be, beyond just the technology they're on. Because like again, like oh, Final Fantasy twelve, like that came out like a few years before this, and like yes. I think about like the vibrancy and the color and the architecture and all of that stuff, and it looks amazing. Whereas this, I will say, like for me, like um, the difference between this and Origins is that like. The environments are what suffer most in this game. I think the environments just look really dull and really drab. But mm. um, the characters, I think, look a little bit better than the ones in, in Origins. Yeah. Okay. Like Isabella, um, I think, is a good design. I think um, Varric uh, is a good design. Um, Flemeth, even if it is a little bit ostentatious, <laughs> I actually think Flemeth looks a lot cooler than she did because she's just literally an old woman in Origins, and that was pretty much it. So, yeah. like, the, it's uneven. I think there are like uh, the um, the Arashok, um, the the leader of the Kunari. I think the uh, I genuinely think the Arashok looks um, pretty Menacing, cool and, yeah. and and imposing. Um, the Kunari had a quite a significant reworking from the yeah. previous game. Yeah. yeah. But it's um it's it's the locales it's it's the environments yeah. that have suffered the most. Um, There's a few places that I thought were slightly yeah. more attractive than others, but um yeah, and I'm sure plenty of talented artists worked on the game. Just how how much time they had. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it is funny nice. as well. You know, playing this in 2021, it's um like how rigid the areas feel. You, so you go out and maybe one of the more kind of open environments um and you find yourself following literally just a path like a jrpg or you know very little exploration which is it but it feels kind of at odds with the more kind of um action orientated gameplay because at times it feels more like a button masher than a precise use the spell here there um and those those areas you're referring to remind me a lot of final fantasy 10 where like you're in between areas that you can see the the, the, the confines of the map and like, where's the chest? But like, the thing about Final Fantasy X is that that existed on a previous mm-hmm. generation's hardware, you know. So like, it's it's tough to like accept those concessions, I guess. But, it's got a lot but, more. But color then again, well. you've got. <laughs> yes, it does. But then again, like they they try with environmental storytelling. So you have High Town and you have Low Town, and obviously you know work out which one's meant to be more slum like versus a regal like. <laughs> but even High yeah, Town, it feels yeah. like it's it's set under a cold, misty day. Um, and it's never really like yeah. a, which can be really atmospheric, but it, in this case, it yeah, and, it just feels kind and of it's bleak quite, and, drab, and, and like yeah. limited. Maybe it is a limited technology or time, but you know, th- there's not that many people within High Town. Partially. Um but you know, people in the slums are, are, yeah. are doing what you would sp- like. It it's all utilitarian. It's it there. It works. It's enough yeah. to get you from 
A to B in the story. But I agree with Josh. I, I found the character designs really appealing. I, I really liked them. And actually, okay. I thought they, I think from um, from a distance, if you, it doesn't quite have the nuance of obviously today and lighting and stuff, but from a distance, actually, the characters I thought looked, you know, relatively good. Yeah, no. I'm I'm purely I'm purely talking about yeah, like sure. design. Obviously, they don't have the the detail, but like the mm-hmm. costume design is stronger. I think the the characters just generally are more kind of like Alistair in Dragon Age One might as well just be <laughs> like a generic NPC in any fantasy game. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Sebastian, like he has a unique armor, like he has a, a distinctive haircut, like that that just feels like more time was spent to give every individual a bit more uh individualism i, I don't know if this happens with uh with uh lady hawk um but do, when you when you go into was it uh, act two at the start and this happens throughout the rest of those acts you go into back to your house and you're in that kind of dressing gown um like you're in your dressing robes and it's yes it, yeah. I don't know, every time it made me laugh, I would go back into my home and it's like, you're trying to have political conversations with somebody whilst in my dressing gown. <laughs> All right. Well, with female hawk, it just looks like, yeah, it just looks I like, look like I'm day going, wear. But, doesn't, okay, yeah, in, t- with male hawk, he looks like he should have a pipe and a pair of slippers. <laughs> yeah. Smoking jacket. And brandy. Does, yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe he should. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just in terms of, um, now I haven't, I don't know if any of us have ever seen the PS3 version. I know it, there's every chance it would have had a, a slightly shonkier frame rate running on original hardware, and obviously that's the only way to, to play that version. Um, the 360 version, I think, targets uh, 30 frames a second, and obviously I'm guessing it possibly struggled with that at times, but I can't, I'm, I'm not going back to, you know, to, to be sure. But obviously if you play it on one of the more modern Xboxes, uh, it'll brute force its way to locked 30 frames a second so just for curiosity's sake i did install that pc copy that i have on origin and uh so obviously you uh, there's a there's a high-res texture pack that you can download for it and uh, you can run it up to full hd 1920 by 1080 and of course if you're assuming your pc is in any way capable it will run at 60 frames a second or higher uh doesn't make that much difference really like it it's a bit nicer looking but it's not transformative or it wasn't to me anyway it was like yeah if i was going to play this game again i would probably basically i played the xbox version because i wanted to sit down in my comfy chair and get achievements uh but if i was going to play it again i probably would play the pc version just for the sake of it looking a bit nicer but it's not yeah it's it, it's not unless there are mods out there that i don't know about from you know users it's not going to make you go oh this game came out like last year <laughs> this this mod gives the game lighting at all <laughs> yeah there, there you go yeah 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 something like that uh how about the audio uh Inon Zur returns as composer uh as the game focuses on Hawk's family and their adventures in the world, Zur used a string quartet to play the solo while the orchestra had a supporting role. He introduced Middle Eastern sounds for the city of Kirkwall since it was foreign to the Hawk family. Zur collaborated with Aubrey Ashburn, who sang the main title and several songs in the game, an Israeli songwriter. Uh, and Florence and the Machine, whose song I'm Not Calling You a Liar, was reimagined yeah, for the game place yeah. uh, in the closing credits. Like its predecessor, the game's music is a cross between heroic and demonic According to Zur, he was given more creative freedom by Bioware since the style of the game's music 
had already been established in Origins, according to Wikipedia. Um, I don't have a huge amount to say about the audio. Um, the, 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 the combat sounds are pretty um, satisfying, I think. There's some quite nice um, jingles and stuff. Um, the the music I don't know if he had any less time to work on it than because like I I wouldn't I would have I wouldn't have thought it would have changed but his did, working. Did schedule you ever hear of a film called Lord of the Rings? Because mm. they did. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. There there is a couple of tunes in there that God are so close, almost not quite. Yeah, not quite sure. bar to bar, but wow, it's close. And actually, I. I didn't yeah, really spot so that. I, I I'm actually, pretty um, familiar with Lord of the Rings. I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, just out of curiosity, sake, just from Spotify on Spotify and just yeah. you know playing it. And yeah, there is some songs in there that yeah. are very, very reminiscent. But then okay. again, like we talked about this earlier, it's it's not really ripping off because it, it's kind of set within that kind of um, right. yeah frame of the uh, of context. So that that makes sense. Um, I you know, I think the music's pretty decent. I'd say listening to outside yeah. of the game. Yeah, they like it's it's probably the one major Bioware entry that I I, I consider myself a bit of a of a video game music nerd and and I I mm. couldn't I can't pick a track off the top of my head and I, and from every Mass Effect the other two Dragon Age <laughs> games I have several I could think of right now you know this yeah. game for some reason I didn't think about it till this exact moment when you were talking there Tony like it just there, there's not there's not a lot there that seems remarkable um what what makes what that makes me want to ask you is do you think that because again we we have no reason to think that Enon Zur's process would have been any different right. so it's sort of interesting to think about what's going on here is he less inspired by his brief or is it that actually you're less inspired by the action that the music was accompanying, that's so a, the music therefore resonates uh, less for you? That's a great point. Uh, I, I I don't know. Probably probably a combination of both. I would assume, but yeah. um, but yeah, it, absolutely. Because you know, I have the, those tracks that I'm thinking of from from the other games. Like I have specific mm-hmm. moments tied to those in my mind. You know, and and, yeah. and here there's not there's not many specific moments of Dragon Age two. I remember. I remember characters. I remember um, certain story beats, but no, but not nothing that really carries any weight um as whether that's good bad or indifferent um i i think the the aspect that on the audio front that i do think is a bit of an improvement is the the sound design um i played as a mm-hmm. mage um yeah. and i love the whipping and waving about of the staff and the the spell like when you crack like a fire spell on on some yeah. some enemies yeah. all of that stuff sounds really really punchy oh, cool. and pleasant and actually, that brings us back to the visuals ever so slightly, because there are some nice animation flourishes, I think, on on the all the all the player characters. We should say for those who haven't played this or or maybe didn't even realize, uh, you can tab between mm. all the characters. You can, yeah. yeah, as 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 Tony said, you can effectively play as any of nine characters once you're actually out there in the in the field, as it were. Um, Is it nine? I think it's nine. I I remember specifically. I I had the I played as a rogue this last time through. So so Bethany was the sibling that survived with me through to Kirkwall. Mm-hmm. And I remember th- those first few battles, just seeing her lightning and cold spells kind of like whiz past me in the animation of like the the spell kind of like <laughs> circling erratically but finding its target. It does it does look really nice in 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 those moments. Like so even amongst kind of the the muddy visuals of the rest of the yeah like, there's there's those moments yeah. those animations and even kind of like the end of the battle flourish you know like spin the staff around and put it on your back like all that looks really polished and nice so there's yeah. there's moments there for sure 
Yeah, and I will say that those bits, uh, those things like the magic effects, are, are the area in which the the higher res uh, and and higher frame rate PC version kind of comes into its own a bit. Yeah. You'll get you'll get a bit more kind of polish. Uh, it all feels a bit more immediate and a bit less clunky. So Moby Games says the combat system is quite similar to the one used in the previous Dragon Age game, which in its turn dates back to the combat style used in Baldur's Gate, which, uh, yeah, you can definitely trace it back to D&D, basically, which they deployed in Knights of the Old Republic and everything else. Though it has been noticeably sped up, continues Moby Games, Hawk can only be a human, but the player can customise his or her physical appearance and character class, warrior, mage or rogue. The player controls Hawk and up to three active party members, either programming their actions by assigning actions that should be taken under certain conditions. Uh, For example, healing a party member if HP drops below 20%. uh, You can get way more. Uh, granular mm-hmm. than that as as well of course or issuing commands to each character manually the ability tree is also similar the player being able to learn new abilities as the characters level up many abilities from the first game return but some are absent or replaced with new ones the abilities are divided into various disciplines which correspond to the fighting style of the character uh, did this part and uh, of any pretty much any modern video game mm-hmm. <laughs> uh did this did this satisfy you the the progression and 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 the the management of the characters and all that stuff was it was there enough of it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> no i i um, i, I think engaged the, with it yeah. i i i did I, you know i whatever my 40 hour playthrough i probably spent 10 hours messing around um going through skill trees making sure that everybody had the right weapon and you know making sure yeah. that mage just has enough you know magic and yeah, you know, I didn't just do the auto auto level up. I did kind of really. Yeah, you know, I went quite no. granular on what I wanted Same. my my player characters to to be doing and and how I found my play style and and going down you know, nor, completely ignoring certain trees, but fully maxing out others. So yeah, you know, like you say, it's a modern day game experience. Yeah, you know, twenty eleven. I think it it had to be in there in comparison to what origins was because origins was a lot more kind of granular in its micromanagement it felt very much like a mouse and keyboard game with the ability to use a controller but this felt like a controller controller game first and foremost with the ability to mm. micromanage if you so wished and there was times I, I there was absolutely some, some battles i came into where i was like okay as a group you need to stand here and don't go just charging in there um, because you know we've we've been down this road, we die. Let's so let's try to. That's why you yeah. got to stay on normal difficulty because okay. I didn't. Well, do there, that. there was certainly <laughs> a few fights you just go, and but the game can be like that where you just are breezing your way through for two hours without any kind of issue, and then you suddenly walk around the corner and you're coming against two mages that seem to be four times as powerful as anything you faced in the last two hours, and wipe your party within thirty seconds. You go, okay, <laughs> what am I doing wrong here? Um, but then that's like I actually I found that stuff to be okay. You know, the fact that I needed to to heal and um, at times feeling on the back foot, and that I didn't you know I didn't want if I lost one party member, I think oh god this you know that that was the mage that was my healing aspect of the party, and that's that's going to be some you know quite a hard battle ahead. And there was two or three battles where I did get to the end, and I was down to a sliver of health with no ability to heal kiting around that enemy just hoping that i'd get that last hit in before they got me and yeah it it yeah. can for example be be um quite engaging if you, 
And I, I'd imagine if I just played it on hard all the way through, you'd have that ex- maybe have that experience every single encounter. But I just I didn't feel like that this was the game I wanted to spend eighty hours getting through um, by going through those encounters. Yeah. I think for me, there's just like it's so rare that the encounter design feels really considered numbers, isn't it? and full of full of like strategic opportunity like the the combat system that's here is to- like totally serviceable and it's totally fine and and honestly like inquisition is maybe deeper but doesn't actually change it like mm. a huge amount but what inquisition does do is that it has a ton of like interesting scenarios and interesting mm ways that you can engage with that combat and the the level design just uh, like encourages some more kind of tactical play and and yeah just yeah like this game like like the the number of times where it's just like bandits spawn in here's a second wave of bandits mm. here's a third wave of bandits does yeah. inquisition drop the the wave spawning no yeah uh, yes it does yeah um, it does yeah yeah the, the you're counting i mean inquisition is such a different game on a lot of levels but it does it, it does kind of introduce some aspects of being able to introduce more enemies mid fight but but nothing like dragon age 2 where it feels like like the especially like when you're going through low town and like you're fighting the bandits and then you, you eliminate everybody and then there's all of a sudden there's just ten more red dots on your mini map like that that yeah. has gone by the wayside uh, by Inquisition for sure. Yeah, it feels uh, very gamey, doesn't yeah. it? That stuff. One thing I didn't mention earlier: the working title for the game. Well, it was originally codenamed internally Project <laughs> Nugstorm, uh, but it was actually known as. <laughs> Dragon Age Exodus. Oh wow! In uh, in development, which I think is a cooler name personally than Dragon Age Two, but I can understand why they why they went with that. Uh, <laughs> but then they dropped the they dropped the numbering after just that one instalment. I I wish they called it Project Nugstorm. No, I was yeah. thinking uh, Metro couldn't use Exodus, then it would have been Metro's Nugstorm. <laughs> so <laughs> Metro <laughs> Nugstorm, <laughs> Me- yeah, or just Metro Three, Metro Twenty Thirty Three Three. Who knows? Uh, Doctor Raphael says, whilst I appreciate the aim of making a combat uh, feel more like an action game, they didn't really move on that far with it compared to Origins, and it still lacks any sense of weight. Uh, it all feels less satisfying from a tactical sense too. I still found it enjoyable, but it is far from amazing. That uh, contradicts what you were saying, Josh. That you felt it did feel a bit weightier. I'm wondering if there's a, again maybe there's another a class uh, issue here, but um, obviously one's perception of weightiness of combat is uh, is a subjective matter. I mean, I played mage, so that's probably like I can't yeah. imagine playing this game with a melee character. Sorry, Tony. Um, so that might have been a factor. The rogue, I, I played a little bit as the rogue in that that PC game that I started up, and um, the yeah, I wouldn't say it feels weighty as such, but the audio for the schnickety schnick of the twin knives, yeah, is super is, fast. Is, yeah. It's you know, yeah. yeah. Um, there's some uh, obviously there's some looting because it's that kind of game. Uh, we're still in the things that shine on the floor. It still always feels a bit kind of this this element of the game feels a bit scratchy and scrubby to me like the um the fact that there's all these kind of almost useless trash items everywhere in the game that you kind of hoover up and then you just sell as a as a lump for extra coin like you might as well just make it coin at that point in the in the game world like why have that extra little 
think I guess it's supposed to be in some kind of extra, you know, level of immersion. I probably, but it, it, I probably would have minded it less if you didn't have an inventory cap. You know, like yeah, yeah, right, if if you yeah. if, if, if there was no max, like I mean, it it probably wouldn't bother you as much. But like, I, I do remember just playing through and being like, oh, there's a sword. Oh, it's a green piece of armor. Maybe it, this will use me, and I can't pick it up because I've got four cracked dishes in my junk pouch or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> there's kind of a weird uh I, I found the whole you can only dress the mm-hmm. main character thing quite weird is that was that in origins have i just forgotten was it the same or did you have to kit everyone out with gear i it, it just it, like it it's it's odd and the fact that you can kind of look you can sit on that part of the menu for everyone and it's like no you can only buy this armor for the main character it feels to me rather like again maybe that was something that got stripped out well i think it's down to, to time. character design because obviously as as hawk you can change the you know multiple different layers of characters and, and make it look ridiculous in some regards but i guess mm. they just wanted the the side characters as you know very much visual designs of how they set them you can actually you can buy upgrades for those characters from different stores to, to give them um you know different abilities that weren't there before um you yes. can even do certain yeah. quests and actually change the the uh, some of the costumes of the characters as well. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying yes. to remember now yeah. because I'm thinking of Inquisition, which is obviously the after this game. But um, I remember you can upgrade the the weapons on the characters. I'm not sure if you can change their armor. Or mm-hmm. not. You definitely can't change their look because Varric very clearly has this kind of half unbuttoned shirt and necklace, <laughs> and and Iron Bull is is shirtless at all times. And like, yeah, no, some yeah. of them do actually change their whole outfits. Yeah. Uh, they become visually distinct, hmm. but it's still something that suits them. It's more like a palette swap. Right, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's also quite funny yeah, because once you, you've you gone down that kind of, well, I want my character to be, to be I don't know, whatever, this this way inclined. So for me, it was a melee character. So anything that dealt with any kind of magic form of like the armor, I'm just dumping everything because like, oh, I don't need a bow. None of my characters use bow. I didn't take that discipline as, as this main character and none of the side characters use it. So all that stuff just goes. But I found myself picking up every single item uh, as you always do in these games just for the, the hope of being yeah, yeah. slightly that ever so slightly powerful. But And I suppose I it would be remiss, even though maybe none of us engaged with it all to the, the nth degree, but some people who will be the most into a game like this uh will really have looked into min maxing mm. their party with by going into the talent tree and absolutely looking at all the best possible setups and scenarios the 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 crafting elements with the different um this whole kind of uh yeah there's sort of uh like you know the usual explosive potions and all this kind of stuff not many of which I use but then that's partly because I was a mage so I had access to elemental effects but again i do i do want to stress that there is obviously we have infinite amount of games to play and an insane amount of choice and limited time but i think for somebody who was willing to go into the 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 more high-end crpg stuff of this there's probably a good deal of game in there and it would be interesting to know even though that that end of act two fight is known as a difficulty spike if you're playing it on that hardcore level, but you've absolutely, you know, micromanaged every aspect of all of your characters and everything that you've got in your party at your disposal, maybe it's entirely doable. Maybe that, maybe that act there, that that moment was 
to you know separate the the grognards from the rest of us the game comes with a few add-ons um well it's mine seemed to anyway i don't know if were, were these uh, i got i got the black emporium i think that's uh, free which is free attachment uh the exiled prince is a separate download um that's... so i brought that one um but it was only cuz it was a cup it was a couple of pounds okay. and it was like okay yeah it was relatively cheap so i thought okay well i'll i'll add this but the other two dlcs are like still seven pounds and i was like ooh, like oh, do really? i want to put okay. 14 pounds extra on into this okay. and i think they're a couple of hours each i i probably will do it because of you know that completionist as, aspect to me far. but um yeah yeah I, I think the sebastian stuff is actually quite a quite an interesting little kind of quest line whether it yeah mm. Now, I would say I played all of them at launch, um, and uh, or right. when they came out, should I say? Because uh, I really um, loved the expansion, or the the DLC from Dragon mm-hmm. Age Origins. Um, mm. they, Dragon Age Origins had this great uh, DLC involving a golem in the middle of a town that was deactivated, and you had to reactivate Brilliant. it. And, yeah. Like it really fleshed out the story in, in a lot of ways that I loved. Um, so I played all of these too. I remember Legacy being quite good. Um, it has to do with the Hawk family and. Um, there's yeah. like a there's like a cartel or like um I'm looking yeah 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 okay so yeah there is a cartel hunting you um and it's really really interesting it kind of takes you out of Kirkwall for a little bit um and I remember really enjoying that and hoping there would be more um I I don't remember much about Mark of the Assassin so it looks like uh you can do do they become if you buy them do they become available from the beginning of the game or are they only available from a certain point it's one of those things know? where they just appear as letters at your desk so i think once you yeah. break open into either act 1 or act 2 i can't remember it might be act 2 once you get the manor back is where they're all available but um but one or the other um felicia day was a voice in mark of the assassin um I guess most uh, having not played them, the thing I'm most interested in is: do they show any signs of having been made after? So they came out in sort of uh, one of them was July Legacy, and one of them was in October. So have they got new assets? Is there new? Are there new environments? So the the thing I remember there there are a couple of new environments that the assets seem relatively similar. Um, the the only thing I will say that the, um, I, like I said, I don't remember as much about Mark of the Assassin. The combat encounters seem much more crafted than before, less procedural, uh, okay. um, and and mm-hmm. it feels like like I remember when you were kind of doing the final conflict in Legacy, it was kind of this this series of of um, battles or you know fights, and all of them felt like like important and they felt uh, strategic in a way that maybe a lot of the combat encounters from the game proper didn't kind of have to it. It, it felt like Inquisition. That's the thing that oh, yeah, it felt yeah, like yep. to me. Like it felt like the team right. was was starting to go in that direction with Legacy, which is cool to see. Interesting. There was one more expan- expansion, which I I guess was going to be more like the the meaty expansion of uh, Origins. This was going to be called Exalted March, but interestingly, there are a couple of reasons given as to why it didn't happen. According to Moby Games, an expansion to Dragon Age 2 named Exalted March was planned but cancelled before announcement. Bioware's reasoning was that other opportunities for the franchises came up and that there was no room for it because Bioware's team sizes are fixed and all of them were busy with projects. 
interesting. But then uh, on Twitter on January 12th, 2017, Mike Laidlaw says, OK, folks, have some questions about the Exalted March cancelled expansion for Dragon Age 2. So why did we cancel it? Easy to assume it was the reaction to Dragon Age 2, but not so. It was the move to Frostbite. I've, I have a feeling that we are going to read a book in about 10 years about what the move to Frostbite <laughs> did for a lot of different franchises and, and things. You hear that a lot. You hear the move to yeah. Frostbite just being something that is just really... A lot of teams have struggled with. I'd love to be a fly yeah. on the wall for a lot of those conversations. Just just to know, it has to be incredibly maddening for a veteran I know team. FIFA went through a, a period from going across. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Laidlaw said we had an opportunity to do both at the same time, but knew it as it would be the first time that engine that engine did RPG stuff. It would be hard as most everything in making games. It certainly was challenging. Great engine, but took tons of time. We had uh, had we tried to do both Exalted March and the Frostbite transition, both would have suffered a lot, especially from lack of engineering folks. So executive producer Mark Darrow made the call to stop development on the expansion and go all in on what would become Dragon Age Inquisition. There we go. One last comment from the forum. Dr. Raphael again concludes, I would recommend Dragon Age 2 to anyone who enjoyed Origins or Inquisition, likes a good fantasy tale or even just a richly realised world. Even if you just bust it down to easy and play it like an interactive story, there is still a lot to enjoy here. So says the doc. In just three words from Twitter, follow us at Kana Rince. We have some little reviews. Necromas says, world felt barren. Porg of Prophecy says, frustratingly limited scope. Deadbeat Punk says, Dragon Age Musu. Azur Lissik. Uh, Anders ruins everything. And Groovy Reg, or Groovy Reg, says, so much blood. Yeah, they kept the, uh, they kept the, the ludicrous uh, blood decals <laughs> from Origins. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, I think you can turn them off in the options, but I just refuse to, because it was it's supposed part terribly of and charming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't look like blood. It's it's just like well, one of my daughters walked past. I mean, bear in mind they're eight, and I, I didn't really have any issues of playing this game in front of them because it's you know comparatively today, it's not really too bad. But they went, yeah. why are they covered in mud? And I was, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, it does look a bit just because muddish. they are, sweetie. <laughs> it's like, yep, you need to boost that um, boost that uh, color setting or uh, yeah. But no, it does always look a bit dark. Um, I think, I can't, was this one of the games that uh, Series X adds auto HDR to? It would be, probably, oh, yes. Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that it helped much. <laughs> no, it didn't make much difference. There's no that. lighting for the HDR to react. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, the browns, more brown. <laughs> I realise we're insulting. I'm probably, I'm sure there is actu they're actually lighting on the game, but it's, it, it's so flat and like uh, non-interactive and... Yeah, again, obviously, <laughs> we're coming back from having played, I don't know, Demon Souls on PS5 or whatever, uh, which is, and it, it's like a different, yeah, it's a different planet. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. when we leave these games 10 years before we talk about them. But, I mean, you but, say that, actually, one of the things that drove me playing this, it drove me to go and start Lost Odyssey, Lost Odyssey again. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. Because I was just like, I'm going to play something kind of like around the same time that was 
my God, that's a really good game. We must do that game. So anyway. <laughs> You'll have to nominate it next year, Tony. Would yeah, we got Xenoblade Chronicles this year for a big RPG. Uh, but yeah, maybe Lost Odyssey in 2022. Who knows? Well, uh, it's been relatively brief. I guess it's sort of appropriate, really, for a game with a nine-month development. <laughs> no, we're just on cycle. time. That's <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, Jay will be happy. Um, I'm sure there is more to be said, but uh, as long as we have our summaries, we can still spurt out anything that is still uh, bursting to be said. Um, I think it's fair to say that Tony's probably been the least positive on Dragon Age Two, so you can go first. Yeah, and I don't know really where I stand on this game anymore because I there's been games I've done for the show where I've been really, like, I've really disliked them, you know, angrily so, and they've really got under my skin. Dragon Age 2 isn't that. I think I really feel, you know, having the hindsight of its very shortened development time makes so much sense in so many of the decisions that are portrayed on screen, yet you have to judge a game by what is delivered to the player. And, and yes... Unfortunately, there were so many issues that could have been probably resolved via more development time and money, but that's not the game review. And then, then of course, you know, I'm playing this ten years after the fact, um, and you know, I think uh, um, there has been a lot, a lot of um, progression in the way that aspects of this this story has would be presented over the, over the last ten years. And we've come on, and it's it's great to see in some regards. We've come on leaps and bounds to how this story portrays itself. And how it's you know comes across as quite serious, but actually now feels relatively quaint in the way that it tackles some of its issues. And I think that's a really positive thing. But I can't help but feel that you know I'm coming into this game from a dear love for Dragon Age Origins, and whether it's a maybe an issue with me expecting something in the similar vein, and uh, you know we we heard from the developers themselves that's not what they wanted to achieve. They wanted to achieve exactly what they delivered with. Um, Dragon Age 2 so it is what it is and that I spent the best part of I think it's 45 hours in this game um, would I have stopped if it wasn't for needing to well, needing wanting to finish it for the show more than likely um, and I don't normally kind of abandon games halfway through but the the, the narrative just, just wasn't pulling me through in the way that I, I normally look for in any RPG of any kind. That central narrative to, to get me from A to B is really important to me, that core narrative. But I did stick with it, and because I stuck with it, there is a lot of charms. There's a lot of charms within the smaller details of the side characters. Uh, and I guess my closing kind of thoughts on that is, yes, it looks the way it looks, but then Dragon Age has never been a, a or certainly Dragon Age Origins wasn't a looker, so that's fine. But I think my memory of this game will be that it's a game of missed opportunities, but there will be characters that I do kind of fondly remember it over the years. And for that, I'm glad I stuck with it and I'm glad I had the opportunity to play it. And I'm I'm actually looking forward to playing Inquisition at, at some point to see actually how this this story continues and pans out. And, you know, maybe next year will be the perfect time to do it that leads into Dragon Age 4. So although I probably am the most critical on the game, I didn't dislike my time with it. I just I just felt like it was a uh, many missed opportunities that could have made it a, a lot better. Mm. Yeah, I did I did have um an alright time playing Dragon Age 2 for all its shortcomings. I think 
genuinely playing it now on a more powerful machine as i say could have played it on a pc earlier than this but uh the near instant loading times made the game a lot less of a chore than it might have been just being able to take a quest and then jump from location i mean we we didn't even mention actually one of the kind of core mechanics of this game is um it's kind of built-in fast travel like you don't actually walk from place to place you fast travel <laughs> that's how it that's how it is um and uh which is odd when you think about a game that's taking place in such a uh, a relatively small location as it is um but yeah it it was certainly not one of those games you know i've had a few over the years for cane and rinse where i've been like yeah i'm really now only playing this for the show but i i was still enjoying it to an extent i had to drop that difficulty level uh to make sure i got the game done and then once it was done yeah it seemed like the way to go i am always very conscious that if i had fewer games and more time i would probably want to play this more properly in inverted commas uh and fully engage with the micromanagement the macros the the you know really considering every element of my party and and that i mean don't get me wrong i still spent plenty of time manually leveling up and um making sure they had the best gear and and actually looking at what i was upgrading but i think there's there are there are levels beyond that in terms of managing the combat encounters where you can get even more uh yeah granular and and specific but yeah it was the story didn't blow me away uh it's yeah it's treading retreading some old ground and in the end it kind of I don't know, it sort of flourishes a big bad out of nowhere for the third act, um, in which is quite a traditional RPG thing to do, um, and almost ends on a cliffhanger, which you wonder if maybe the Exalted March would have would have addressed. Um, but the individual moments, those, uh, the character, the group of characters and the banter and relationships between them all was, uh, was engaging enough, and uh, the moment-to-moment was undemanding apart from that point where it was too demanding and then i made it even less demanding would i recommend it now well if you've got game pass and an xbox it's there for you to play don't know if it was ever on ps plus i don't think so um but there are so many amazing wonderful games around to play now that i wouldn't put it anywhere near the top of anyone's list but if like me you enjoyed origins and wanted to catch up with the series then um yeah, you could do a lot worse. Brian. Yeah, I my feelings are very similar I think to you, yours and Tony's. I the one thing I'll say is that as a fan of Dragon Age in general, the Dragon Age lore, looking forward to Dragon Age 4 uh, or whatever the title ends up being, there's a lot of really great character work in this game that I think is is worth exploring. Um if you're if you're looking for should should I play this in 2021? I'm not sure. Um I think it's definitely worth looking into the histories of some of the characters, though, because a lot of it has impact in the world of Dragon Age. Um, the The setting of Kirkwall is intriguing, but it, it falls flat because of uh, a lot of reasons. We already talked about reused assets, graphics, textures, but I think there's a heart there. There's a core of that that's really good. I, I wish the team would have had more time or took more time to make it. I would like to see maybe where some of those ideas, you know, spun out to. Uh, whether you need to play it now, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think Inquisition does a really good job of, of summing up a lot of the, the the threads from this game, which is something that I'm sure we'll talk about in the future. 
Um, but I I can kind of sum this this uh, this whole game up for me to to the the voice work of Gideon Emery. He does the voice of Fenris. He's also the voice actor who does Balthier in um, Final Fantasy Twelve. Like there, it's mm. it's very well crafted, very well done. It, it is very soothing and it's a pleasant to be around. Even though it might have some rough edges, even though some of the lines of dialogue might be cheesier or overwritten or, or or just kind of out of place, melodramatic, whatever it is, it just it it's a comfortable time um, in, enjoying those lines of dialogue. And I kind of feel that way about Dragon Age Two. Is that I don't think you need to go back and play it, but this is now my third time playing through the game. I'm something like 25, 30 hours through this playthrough, and I'm gonna see it through um, because I just kind of like being there. Even though it has all those, you know, those those rough edges around it, um, it's if you like the lore and story of Dragon Age, then then you're not going to have a bad time playing Dragon Age Two. You just might be, whether fairly or unfairly, comparing it to its brother and sister games. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I think maybe you are actually the most positive, but I just wanted to mix up the accents a bit for the listeners. So <laughs> let's finish with Josh. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was expecting, um, before playing the game for this recording, I was expecting to come into this as one of the game's champions because, like, at the mm. time, like, in 2011, I really did genuinely love this game. Um, and I think it suffered... Um, it suffered for me because... I was less versed in in Western RPGs at the time. Like Mass Effect was really and the kind of one two punch of Fallout Three and Mass Effect uh, Mass Effect Two were kind of my entry point into Western RPGs. And I have experienced a lot more um, of the kind of the breadth of the genre since. Um, there've been a couple of you know notable recent entries that I've really fell in love with that have kind of taken some of the things that Dragon Age Two attempts and just executed them to a much a much higher standard. So t- now my relationship with this game is I really respect it. Like I think there's a lot of cool ideas in here. That I just wish had more nine, more than nine months um, mm-hmm. to 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 you know to come to fruition to to really germinate into something more exciting and more engaging. I pretty much agree with everything that everyone else has said, but it's it's really hard to recommend Dragon Age Two when Dragon Age Inquisition exists, which is not a flawless game, but has many more highs than this and and ultimately the play experience is um the play experience is more engaging and um there's less you're not going to revisit the same dungeon three times in a row um <laughs> yeah it's it's disappointing to return to a game and realize that you've fallen out of love with it but hey ho ha suck it up <laughs> <laughs> tough uh no there we go well it remains for me then leon to thank brian josh tony and editor jay as well as our correspondents and of course to you for listening next time a trademark change of direction of course in issue 459 it'll be back to the arcades in 1989 for teenage mutant ninja turtles and 1991 for the simpsons